Come in, Ocean Sailor. Come in, Ocean Sailor. The Ocean Sailor Podcast. Brought to you by Ocean Sailor Magazine and Kraken Yachts. Well, welcome to Ocean Sailor Podcast, episode six, no less. And listeners, you're sailing on a ship with two anchors. I'm one of them, Dick Durham. And the other anchor is my co-host and good friend and chairman of Kraken Yachts, Dick Beaumont. Yeah, thanks, Dick. You know, I've been called a lot of things. Uh, I suppose an anchor is uh, perhaps similar to something I've been called before. Um, but yeah, and, uh, it's great uh, to be back on the podcast. I'm really looking forward to the one we're doing today, which is uh, Jerry Northwood's uh, part two about piracy, of course. Yes, interesting man, had a lot to say in the last one, and I'm sure uh, a lot more to say this time. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Let's crack straight on, eh? Why not? Uh, yeah, Jerry, in, a, in our previous podcast, we were looking at uh, guns on board. Is it a good idea or isn't it? Um, uh, we reached a conclusion. We had a poll, actually, which was sort of 70% against having a gun on board and about so the rest of it for having one on board. It'd be good to have your take on that, Jerry. You know, if you go back to the, the, the beginnings of the counter-piracy problem and um, Somali piracy problem, um, the, the, the political authorities were very against the idea of guns on board vessels, and this is on board the commercial vessels and super yachts. They felt that it'd be a sort of gunfight at the OK Corral and, uh, and it all become rather um, out of hand. Um, that was the received wisdom. And so for a period, the idea of armed guards on board vessels was verboten. Um, it started to happen anyway, because people realized it was the only way they were going to prevent the Somali pirates from uh, ultimately getting on board ship. Um, the other BMP five, the other BMP measures were, were effective to a degree, but not, um, not enough to really stop the problem. Um, so we moved on quite a bit. And actually, as a result of that, we, we looked very long and hard, at both the commercial side and the military. Um, but the commercial people in particular look very long and hard at the, the jurisdictional issues. Um, one of the reasons that um, the weapons on board ships, on board commercial ships and super yachts works quite well against the Somali pirate is because most of what you're doing is in international waters. And so the jurisdiction is the flag state of the vessel that you're on. Um, clearly, if something happens against somebody who has a, a, a different flag state, you need to be very careful about what that, that nation thinks. So in the case of, um, uh, of the Italian Marines um, who were arrested by the Indians, it's because they shot at a, a bunch of Indian fishermen. And the Indians then took a, the Indian nation then took a view on that and arrested them. If you're going to carry a weapon, you need to be very clear about the jurisdictional issues. The other thing you need to be very clear about is uh, the circumstances under which you would use that weapon and the competence to use it. If you're going to have a weapon and you're going to start brandishing it, um, you need to know what you're doing. Uh, and you need to be absolutely clear about exactly what, what you're going to do, because otherwise you're going to be on the, end, the wrong end of a firefight um, and you're going to end up getting hurt. So um, my advice would be if, uh, if you think the circumstances work for you, then by all means, have a by all means have a weapon, but you need to know what kind of a threat you're up against, and whether you're going to have the kind of overmatch you need, because if you're up against a bunch of people coming at you with AK-47s, um, you want to be getting in the first shot, and you want that shot to be effective. And 
you're talking from a yacht, you're talking about relatively close ranges. So I'd say it's quite a, that's a relatively difficult situation. You, you need to be a very competent, competent weapon handler and maybe have more than one competent weapon handler on board with, with good military style hunting weapons. Can't have automatic these days. That's, um, that's not permitted, but you can have semi-automatic. Um, and they need to be, you need to be really, really very, very clear about what you're going to be doing. There are, of course, a range of other issues in terms of then what happens when you get to a port. And I know you discussed those in your podcast, previous podcast. And that's another range of issues you have to deal with if you're going to carry weapons on board a ship or on board a, uh, a yacht or any other vessel. But it's the same problem we have with the commercial vessel. You can't just go anywhere with weapons. Otherwise, it would be great. You just Each commercial vessel would have an armory on board. It carries some weapons. And whenever it goes somewhere difficult, you just hire in the blokes to come and handle those weapons. That would be great. That would be the perfect solution for us. But it, does, it just doesn't work that way because of the complexities of, um, of jurisdiction and, right. and different nations having different views on whether, where the weapons should be and how they should be bonded and everything else. But even as you've just explained, the legalities then of having a weapon on board on any vessel is that, as I understand it, the, the baddies are going to be armed with, with automatic weapons, but you won't be allowed to have automatic, only semi-automatic. So you're already at the wrong end of the fight anyway, are you not? Um, not necessarily. I mean, the, um, the kind of weapons that we have, that the private maritime security companies have, they are semi-automatic, but they will be of a caliber and range oh. that, that, that outranges the average AK-47. Okay. Um, an AK-47 isn't, isn't a particularly accurate weapon at, at the kind of ranges that you can, you can be operating at with, um, uh, with you know, West, Western weapons. Okay. But, but of course, Jerry, you're referring to highly trained crew, uh, highly trained uh, uh, operators, um, which generally... The average yachtsman is not going to be, and no. you've. I think you've said very clearly that unless you have got a professional level of proficiency with uh, with the with the guns, it sounds like your advice is you don't even think about it unless you have got that level. And even then, there are uh, plenty of issues to consider uh, as a private individual carrying arms. Is that fair? Yes, it is. And the thing is, of course, you're also operating um, from you know, the, the security teams that we're putting on board commercial ships are operating behind steel, steel, infra steel infrastructure. Yeah. They've got protection from that and they've got height advantage. Yeah. Mm. Um, whereas from a yacht, you're operating at exactly the same level and you've got no, no um, ballistic protection. You know, a yacht yeah. fiberglass, unless you're in a steel yacht, you might get a little bit of ballistic protection from that. So, as, yeah, as we would say, reading you loud and clear on that one, I think. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, let's, uh, let's just talk about clearly, uh, and as a game we've discussed, and you know, in the previous one, uh, previous uh, podcast, it, piracy falls into two categories that which you've already described in Somalia, and uh, I believe to some extent in West Africa. And the rest of the piracy issues generally can be described as, uh, I think you used the term when we were talking before, uh, marine mugging. Um, and, and so, but those areas, you know, so 
those areas in general are also, uh, if not clinically uh, uh, defined, they are certainly a be aware uh, area that things may go on in those areas. And to some extent, I, I would think and I've experienced that, you know, wherever you're going to find poverty, you're going to find crime. And of course, if it takes to the sea, whatever occurs, it goes from being robbery on the land, which doesn't sound that terrible, to piracy, um, which sounds a hell of a lot worse uh, because it's enacted on the sea. Um, so it, it'd be very helpful if you could tell us where you think the key areas are. Yeah, sure. Um, I think the most the, the area that's getting the most uh, publicity at the moment is the Gulf of Guinea. Um, West Africa. Uh, much of that is Nigerian um, criminality uh, operating out of the um, operating out of the Delta. Um, it's of a different order of violence from Somali piracy. Uh, the Nigerians are operating relatively close to their base. They are well armed, and we're talking properly armed with you know crew-fed weapons and um, and higher caliber. And uh, they're extremely aggressive. So if you take on the, um, the Nigerians, you need to you need to really know what you're doing. And um, uh, the security solution for that, which is permitted by the Nigerians, and the whole thing is very controlled by the Nigerian government and their navy and uh, their maritime organisations. So the only protection that's permitted is Nigerian navy. Um, uh, it used to be Nigerian Navy on board the uh, commercial vessel or the vessel coming in or going out. Uh, now it's on board an escort vessel. So it's effectively a private, private um, public partnership arrangement where a private company provides the vessel. Nigerian Navy then provide the armed team um, and the shipping owner pays for that service to go out with his vessel or bring his vessel in. Um, and that, uh, that is how you protect yourself from uh, Nigerian piracy. There's also a protected anchorage area as well, which uh, is patrolled. So vessels in that anchor, anchorage area are safe. But most of that piracy is uh, in the Gulf of Guinea is Nigerian. And actually, from a yacht, a yacht perspective, um, the, the chances are you're not really going to want to go there. Um, it's an, an, easy, an easy area to avoid. It's not really on the main transit corridor. No, I mean, down I, sailed, the coast of Africa. I sailed up that mm. way. Um, and the only issue uh, it really is that uh, once you leave uh, uh, Cape Verde Islands, what you, you kind of need to do to do it as a sailing route is you need to make as much easting as you possibly can, which in an ideal world would take you off of Liberia or uh, um, Guinea or uh, um, Sierra Leone, um, because you'd, you'd, you'd want to try and get easting, because what you've got are strong northeasterlies coming down from yeah. basically from Gibraltar. So you need to kind of uh, put a big tack in, and that will take you up and give you plenty of easting to help you get towards the Azores. Um, when I did the trip, I called the IMO and spoke to the guys who were very helpful there, and they said to me, well, Keep a hundred mile off of the coast as your absolute minimum, and I kept, despite the fact I'd have preferred to have gone further over, 
I, I kept 200 nautical miles off and was pretty nervous, I will tell you, even when I was. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, I can't imagine, I can't imagine anybody would want to, you know, cruise the um, <laughs> Gulf of Guinea. It sounds like a crazy idea. Well, let's just finish on that point. What I would say is that um, the the organisation that um, you want to tap into, if you are going to go anywhere near that area, is mdat.gog, M-D-A-T hyphen G-O-G, the mdat.gog. Just just give us, give us that one more time, please, Jimmy. Yeah, the mdat.gog, M-D-A-T hyphen G-O-G. So that's the that is the um, if you like the MSC HOA equivalent, and it's run from a combination of um, the UK and France. Um, it was in the region; it all became a bit too difficult. So we the the, uh, the UK and France have shifted the running of it back into um, into into Western Europe. Tap into them. The other thing I'd say, actually, for anybody going anywhere around the world, is read the IMB reports, the International Maritime Bureau. Um, annual piracy reports. They're online. Uh, you can download the PDF and just go back through the years and study them. Mm. Going to, because they break it down into regions and they literally, they, they report, they, 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 there is a report there for every single reported incident. Um, now, the, 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 the danger here, of course, is that a lot of stuff doesn't get reported. Uh, and a lot of the very low-level stuff doesn't get reported. But the point is that the IMB have captured everything that is. Yeah, I, I think you, uh, on your own uh, website, on the Mars website, uh, you keep a, con- a continuous uh, Intel update. Yeah, most of the security companies do. We do as well. Most security companies have some kind of offering of um, of security news um, or security-related news. Mars also produces a weekly intelligence, what we call a weekly intelligence update, which actually is basically news reporting from different parts of the world. So we have a page for the Gulf of Guinea, a page for the Indian Ocean, Somalia, Yemen. Oh, okay. Yeah, we do that. We, we push that out weekly. It goes out on LinkedIn. It's on our website. Um, and a lot of the security companies have got that kind of, um, that kind of service. So that's just a, a capture of news items that are going on around the world that are related to maritime matters. Um, but I would say that in terms of um, understanding the kind of uh, maritime crime that might have taken place in an area that you're interested in going to, it's definitely worth having a look at those IMB reports. Mm. And, uh, and I was aware of, I mean, uh, kind of two areas that I've sailed, well, one passed and avoided, which was the um, Sulu Sea, the South Sulu Sea. Um, in the island, I think, in particular, is an island spelt Jollo, but actually pronounced Polo, which is Abul Saiv's uh, yeah. stronghold. Um, and of course, then the Malacca Straits is that's con- constantly brought up. So, what's your thoughts on those two? Yeah, the Su- Sulu Sea has been going on, and the, and the, the conflict between the, Fili- the Philippines, uh, in particular, and Abu Saif has been going on for a long while. Um, and it goes right back to I think 19, as early as the 1960s. But more recently, it became it bubbled up, and there, and there were some instances, some rather tragic instances of uh, yachtsmen who got themselves captured by the Abu Sayyaf, and um, and, mm. and uh, the, then there was ransoms going on and um, and people being killed. Um, the Philippines seem to have cracked down on Abu Sayyaf a bit. There's, there's um, they're being much more aggressive towards them, I think, and 
every now and then you read about the reports of incidents that are occurring between the Filipino military and Abu Sayyaf. Um, so for a period when the um, problem was at its height, we were providing armed guards, locally drawn armed guards on board our client merchant ships, take them through the area. Um, and a number of other companies were doing the same thing, I think. Um, would I take a yacht through there? I think I'll be very careful about mm. it. Um, because the Abu Sayyaf situation does exist. And I think as a yacht, you are incredibly, um, you're incredibly vulnerable. Uh, I, I choose, choose my routing very carefully there, I think. Yeah, I, I sailed up. Um, the, the kind of closest I got to it was uh, north of Borneo. Mm. Um, I think from my understanding at that time, and I, I, I spent a lot of time sailing around uh, the Philippines, and uh, I found the people there, I never had any incidents at all yeah. uh, of, of any theft or certainly no piracy. And I think, you know, people can tend to lump everything in together because you've got a problem in the Sulu Sea, which is, from my understanding, an area that really has got sort of about 200 mile range around there. You'd keep away from 200 miles around Sulu, uh, around Hollow. Um, but two people tend to go, oh, well, that's it. The whole Philippines won't get, that'd be so wrong. Well, this is why this is why I think it's important. This is why I think it's important to read the IMB reports, mm. the starting point, because it gives you a, a sense of where the um, where the maritime crime is taking place. And so, if you read those reports, what you'll see is that, say, for instance, for the Straits of Malacca and that that area, anyway, again, it's quite a broad area. What you're largely seeing is um, maritime mugging of vessels that are at anchor in roadsteads and that kind of thing. And so, it's people getting on board. There was a period when it was vessels underway, and um, and, it, and and it was um, it was considered relatively dangerous. And then, of course, the um, the authorities in the area, Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, they got together a bit and they started to work on the problem. Um, some people have said the tsunami back in two thousand and four may have had an impact um, in that it took out a lot of uh, coastal communities. Um, but anyway, whatever happened, you see that problem. Sort of go, go away, but it's still there in terms of more the lower level uh, maritime mugging, the the basic um, robbery on board commercial vessels, which are at anchor in, in roadsteads. Um, let's say look at the IMB reports because then you can understand where where the attacks are taking place, the nature of those attacks, um, and really. You know, either avoid those areas where the, where there are clusters like the Sulu Sea, or um, or takes or take other precautions. Mm, yeah, and and where else are you thinking then? I think the Mozambique Channel actually is something one these we need to be a little bit careful about now, um, particularly the trouble in Mozambique. And that's not you know the, the the problem in Mozambique at the moment is on is very much onshore. All we don't know is how that's going to develop and whether it could um, result in. Um, in uh, people onshore in what is now is, is, is a section of Mozambique is, has become a failed state or is part of a, is, is an element of failed state. And therefore, would people then start to come offshore to exploit opportunities they might think are out there? Bear in mind that back in the days of Somali piracy in 2009, 10, 11, the Mozambique Channel was an area where Somali pirates operated. You know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a relatively constrained area. Well, it's still pretty open, but it's a relatively constrained area. So it's 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 a lot of traffic goes through there. So I sailed it down from uh, Madagascar yeah. and uh, 
And we stayed mostly over the Madagascan side rather than Mozambique side. But I plenty of uh, South African um, sailors had uh, said to us, you know, you can go into Mozambique if you're absolutely desperate and you've got to, but otherwise you should stay away. What do they say about Madagascar? Well, you know, I, I sailed over all, I stayed three months up in uh, Madagascar. And, and where did you stay? You know, that's the... Uh, I, I first I first went into um, Ile Saint Marie mm. um, on the western, uh, sorry, on the eastern yeah. side, which was absolutely amazing. It was a fantastic uh, area to see uh, humpback whales, and then went up and over the top uh, to Nosy B, um, and in interesting place called Hellville um, at Nosy B, and it really was hell. The big problem there. Um, wasn't any form of uh, civilian robbery. It was, it, it, you know, it was government official robbery. Mm. It's, it's, you know, have you got a gift for me? And, you know, I'll take your rubbish away and it'll cost you $10 and all of this sort of stuff. It, that was in Hellville, very aptly named. Um, but then uh, we, we had to go there to clear it uh, to the area. And then we came out of there and went, further round to a place called Crater Bay, uh, which is also Nosy Bay. And there's a little yacht club there. Everything was really hunky-dory. And we didn't run into any problems anywhere in uh, Madagascar. But I will say, Jerry, uh, you know, it was extreme poverty. They were very, very, there's a very, very poor nation. Yeah. Although in the main, extremely friendly uh, and beautiful people. Um, so yeah, you know, and then of course you, you get down off of the, um, and this comes to more to the mugging issue that we're talking about an opportunistic crime. You get down, uh, into, uh, Durban and I went into Durban, uh, to clear into South Africa, um, got into Durban Marina and was a bit surprised to see there was armed guards on the entrance of the marina and I took a walk down which is about a mile to the customs and immigration office and when I got in there to present my papers the guy said to me you know how did how did you get here so I said oh you know I've come into the marina and I've just walked down and he said no 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 don't walk back For god's sake don't walk back he said you're very lucky you made it this far I said, oh Christ and and you know I mean and and that's that's just the the the, the kind of poverty and the, the criminal situation that exists in that yard and so or in that area I should, I should say and so it, you know had somebody followed me back you know and got through on onto the boat uh, and robbed me that wouldn't have been robbery in Durban that would have been piracy because he's on the boat and this is I think where the differential's got to be understood yeah. Yeah, well, I think, um, I mean, from, from the Mozambique Channel point of view, it's relatively safe. Um, it, it was a problem back in the day. Um, most of the ships that take armed guards now, instead of taking them all the way down to South Africa, as they used to, um, get uh, drop them off in the Cormorus Islands. Oh, yes. Out of that, you know, that's as far as, that's as, far as it goes. Um, but I do think the, the situation in Mozambique, um, which clearly has got quite out of hand in, in, um, on the, on the, in, in one of the coastal areas, needs to be watched very carefully now um, as to where that goes. And um, the Mozambique and the area around it 
is something to be just wary of, I think, at the moment. Is that because of, a, you know, change of government or potential civil war? Or... It's because there's an insurgency going on. Ah. There's, the, there's an insurgency, there's an IS insurgency, but um, the, um, the, the government forces, many of which are mercenaries, are not a great deal better than IS. So it's, um, and then of course there was the, you know, heard the story um, last weekend of the, uh, of the people that were, um, the, the Western people from the oil companies that were, were killed or chased out of the area. So, that, they, you know, Mozambique is, um, is one to watch at the moment. Oh, right. Okay. When, when I uh, sailed up through that area, um, I did speak to the Seychelles authorities and, um, you know, because I was trying to assess, well, how far I, I wanted to sail up into uh, uh, the Seychelles. But they, they they said to me, look, once you're within our territorial waters, you're definitely safe. Mm. But how you get there and how you leave our waters is an issue that you, you should be concerned about. And uh, as you say, uh, I, well, so I was aware that the Camorras were, were considered to be safe. I had intended to go up there diving, but actually time constraints, and I was having some on myself pretty much in, uh, in Madagascar. So we did a lot of diving around there, so many whales and fantastic place to see. So we didn't actually, uh, to, didn't actually go there. But, uh, yeah, very interesting. Uh, Really interesting place. So it's good to know that because these things are going to develop quite quickly, aren't they? You know, once the, you know, it's like yeah. you see there's a, you know, a, an outbreak of, uh, of robberies on board uh, in a given anchorage somewhere in the world. And of course, it generally is going to come down to one or two guys and they get caught and then the problem goes away in terms of the kind of opportunistic robberies yeah. that we've been talking about. And and how do you feel about the Caribbean now? What's your, what's your thoughts on the risk to yachts in the, in the Caribbean? I think it's very, it's, 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 it's really just a local, a local risk. Um, we're not seeing much in the way of, of uh, second incidents, um, you know, every now and then something something might happen. Particularly, I've seen more. I think over in the um, of people being attacked or worried by fishing vessels and that kind of thing over in the Western Caribbean, alongside Central America, um, and certainly some of those Central American countries are um, we've got to be quite cautious about. But um, I think most of it with the Caribbean, it, you know, what I'm seeing, it seems to be fairly. Fairly straightforward, I think. Just normal, normal precautions in terms of, um, you know, not being out on your, you know, an anchor. Yeah, because of course you, you've got a lot of experience. So I think one of your big operational centres uh, and uh, areas of responsibility uh, for quite some period of time, I understand, was uh, the Caribbean and uh, 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 and trying to control. Uh, the drug smuggling issues that was on HMS Liverpool, wasn't it? Oh, uh, that's correct. Yes, I mean that's some while ago now. It's two thousand and five. We were doing that, so I'm a little bit out of date in terms of my sort of hands-on experience of the of the Caribbean. But yes, I mean we we spent quite a bit of time um, interdicting the Venezuelan drug runners that sort were of coming up into the Windward Islands um, with with yeah. uh, cocaine. So, uh, and that's I, I certainly at the time it may well still be the case. It's quite an endemic problem of. Um, of cocaine being 
moved into the Windward Islands, and then up through the Windward Islands, um, along with weapons and that kind of thing. So it just contributes towards the general sort of levels of criminality um, and violence. And then that cocaine, most of it was then finding its way back out again um, on commercial aircraft in the hold or on fishing vessels or on yachts go to Europe. And, and on, on yachts, was that, was that, were those yachts captured uh, and used for no, drug smuggling? No, or? This, is, this, is, uh, this, is, this is people um, carrying a bit of cocaine to help pay for their trip. Oh, sure. <clears throat> um, this is yachtsmen as smugglers? Yes. And, yeah. and, and, and a lot of that was going on? Well, there's enough that if you have um, something in the region of 80 tonnes of cocaine going up in through the islands, 80 to 100 tonnes of cocaine, um, a, a, about 80% of that was then finding its way back out again um, to go to commercial markets in Europe or up in the States. Um, at the time, I think it was mostly going to Europe and it was finding its way to Europe in penny packets all over the place. Um, so, yes. Um, that must have been commercial, you know, ordinary, ordinary recreational liverboard yachtsmen who were prepared to do that kind of thing. And there were a few caught at the time as well. Um, and there was also some instances where baggage handlers were arrested at Heathrow because they were part of that um, supply chain, um, bringing stuff in in the holds of, of aircraft. And of course, you know, the security at that, um, in that part of the world is, is not the same as it is over here in the, in, in the West, where um, you know, air, try, trying to chuck a, a, a bag over the, uh, over the wire at Heathrow and have someone pick it up and stick it in an aircraft, probably not going to happen. But in, um, in the, some of those um, uh, Caribbean airports, uh, they're very open. And so handing a bag across to somebody who then sticks it in the hold of an aircraft and has someone ready to pick it up in, in London um or elsewhere was um was certainly feasible at that time whether the things have been tightened up now i don't know in the, in the off chance that they don't lose that particular piece of luggage <laughs> which is well, well, they, yes i mean probably probably have some fairly good reasons not to given the who the the ultimate owners are <laughs> yeah quite, of those people yeah great i mean that's yeah that's that's very helpful and certainly knowing the reference places uh, or, or the ref uh, websites to refer to. One of the things that we should uh, get you to talk about, uh, Jerry, is that um, I understand uh, you, you ran or run a conduct after capture um, seminar or education program. Um, and I understand also that uh, that paid some dividends for one of the uh, people that you did actually train. Or one of the crews that you did actually train. You let, tell us a little bit about that, if you will. Yeah, I've got to be a little bit careful about naming the yacht because um, I think the uh, the owner's a bit private about it. But yes, there was a a, uh, a super yacht which was um, was boarded off. Uh, I think it was off Sardinia, but it's one of those sort of area, those areas in the Mediterranean. Um, and it was an armed boarding by some people who wanted to rob them of their their valuables than they robbed the safe and they took they got away with a lot of money and all the rest of it and they were afterwards they said they were very grateful for the conduct after capture training they'd had from the from mars um because it taught them to do some of the sort of basic things and really a lot of it is um uh, you know it's things like not looking the uh, people in the eye so that you keep, keep your keep your eyes down and you you avoid any kind of conflict with them um because they're armed you're not and actually it's a fait accompli 
yeah, if they want the valuables, they're going to take them. What you don't want to do is end up with individuals getting hurt in the process. Um, there's a lot of good guidance out there as well. Um, both, um, uh, you know, MSC Hoa, for instance, has conduct after capture training uh, or conduct after capture advice for commercial crews. And that applies equally to anybody else. Um, and that's specifically with regard to the Somalis. But a lot of that still is generic and applies elsewhere. So there is a lot of guidance, actually, you can just read about and, and think about. And, in, and same goes, actually, for um, protecting yourself in, in strange places. Um, mm. And, you know, uh, and, and you know, it's, it's like, like your South African friend telling you, telling you um, you shouldn't have walked down that particular path. It's having that, yeah. kind, of, that kind of awareness. Um, and, um, and checking your surroundings and, you know, when you go to a hotel room or room checking for your escape routes and all that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, a very interesting one actually is if you're in an area where there's an insurgency, um, and you're on a bus, um, don't be on the roadside side of the vehicle, wherever that bus is, wherever he's swerving around the road, shift your seat across so you're in the, you're on the non curb side side of the vehicle. Because if there's going to be a bomb going off, it's more likely to be from the curb yeah. than it's from the middle of the road. There's a lot of, a lot of simple things which actually you can do to help yourself, you know. I mean, the thing, that I've, the thing that I've told people, and I think they should, and I think this is, you know, you, obviously this is where your conduct after capture um, training would be very useful to people. I think people have got to understand they're often rocking up in a very poor area with a million, two million quid, five million quid uh, yacht that has got a massive advertisement uh, along its side saying, listen, I've got money. Yeah. And you've got to appreciate that. You can't, you can't expect that that's – I've been to places at this day and age, doesn't sound so likely, but then Sydney White people in years and years and years. Mm. And we've turned up in, you know, 58-foot yacht or something, and it's it's like a spaceship has landed. It's the whole village. The whole village will come out. I, I'm certainly not saying don't do it and don't go to those places, but just be aware. You know, if you do go, I've told people if you do go, you, you're going to wind up going shopping. Make sure you you put your money in three or four different pockets, and the most you ever pull out is the equivalent of two or three quid. Um, and I've seen people pull out great big rolls, and then you know. Standing at a market mm. stall, yeah, and, and before you know where you are, there's 200 people around. Um, it's just, it's just a bit of thought, uh, and I'm sure that that's, I, I imagine that's a large part of what uh, conduct after capture would uh, would cover. I mean, obviously, everybody hopes and prays that that's never going to happen, but like in most cases, the more you're prepared um, and the more you understand what's going on. The greater your chances of coming out of it the other side, um, you know, in one piece off. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think we, want, we don't want to be, we don't want to be frightening people. And I think that the, you know, the watchwords I would use is you know, be risk aware, not risk averse. Um, sure. And you know, be aware of um, uh, be aware of where you're going and what the um, what the consequences might be and how you can try and protect yourself and uh, and make it an enjoyable an enjoyable event rather than something that's um, rather tense and fraught. Um, so, uh, and so, you know, the, the, both the advice in terms of how to conduct yourself and how to prepare yourself is there's plenty of it out there. I mean, you know, probably just within your, your own 
your own magazine and your experiences, uh, Vic. You know, you've you've got some good advice. Lots of other yachtsmen have as well. So there's 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 lots of good advice out there on how to how to manage those kind of situations where you go into a um, a, a new anchorage and 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 meet people from uh, the, the local community. And same thing goes if something does go wrong and someone does get on board your vessel. There's advice there on on what you should be doing. And some of that advice is specific to the region because there are specific types of criminality. Um, one of the good pieces of advice I've I've heard about is that you know in the in the West Indies, if someone comes on board your vessel in the night, don't turn the light on, don't let him see you, because if you if he if you see him, he may feel that actually he needs to protect himself from being identified. Yes, um, and that could have very bad consequences for, yeah. for you or your crew. Um, so you know. Once somebody's on board, and if they're armed, they've got to overmatch. Um, what you want to do is 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 get rid of them by the cheapest means possible, which is probably to hand over uh, whatever it is they want and let them get a, let them get away with it. Yeah, um, it comes hard, but that's far better than um, hospitalization or um, or or worse. Yes, mm. yeah. no, that, that that kind of comes back and uh, meshes with the. Um, the advice that I got from a, uh, a guy that turned out to be Australian SBS guy in um, Borneo, Malaysia. Um, and he said, you know, wear a smile, mm. give them exactly what they ask for, try and keep smiling throughout, and don't look unhappy about the fact they've stolen it from you. I mean, that's not so easy to do, I appreciate. But what he said is um, that's going to be the cheapest way uh, out the situation, both in terms of your safety and probably damage to your vessel as well. Because if you don't want to help them and they start putting a um, a jemmy behind the uh, navigation equipment in the cockpit, it's not really where you want to be. So if you've you've, you've given them enough stuff that they're content with, he's he said, you know, most of them um, will it'll, it'll be you know possibly the equivalent of three six or 12 months uh income uh, and they're yeah. quite happy and off you go and you as much you need to uh, you need to clear out of that area before he tells all of his mates that it was so easy but yeah you know it's a, it, it, a lot of it i think is a lot of it is very obvious once you've experienced those situations and the things that you've told us today jerry have been very useful because it just helps people you know get the mindset but i think it's vital and what we're trying to do here in this podcast and in ocean sailor and talking to you and talking to rene and uh, and, and and discussing this top uh, topic is we're trying to just explain to people how to conduct themselves what to do and how to load the dice in their favor so really yeah. really appreciate uh, your input thank you very much no my pleasure Please, could you tell us uh, where the listeners can find your organisation, MAST, and how they access it? Yeah, sure. I mean, we're obviously, we've got a, got a website, mast-security.com. Um, and uh, you can get in touch with us directly through that or um, give the, uh, the operations team a, a call. On the website, it tells you all the sort of things we do and the kind of services we can offer. Um, and, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's all fairly very clear. So um, you, you don't have a website, Dial a Gurkha, then? Uh, not quite, but it's um, <laughs> uh, but 
if, if it's an armed team or an armed individual or um, a couple of people that, uh, that someone might want, we can offer UK, Eastern European, or um, Nepalese. Right, okay. Well, um, obviously, there's a, there's a price difference um, between UK and, and Nepalese, but uh, our commercial clients um, largely use the Nepalese nowadays um, because you know, uh, the, uh, um, the pound shillings and pence piece is very important to okay. them. Um, and so the market has moved that way by and large. There are very, very few, very few clients now still using um, the UK maritime security operators. Right. Um, It'll be very important to yachties as well because you know there's a very large contingent of yachties that actually kind of only breathe in. <laughs> They're doing yeah. the whole thing on a budget, but people seem focused. Uh, and, and obviously, from a commercial perspective. We can understand why. I, I mentioned uh, to you when we were talking before about uh, yacht deliveries that we would prefer to make um, by the boat's own hull. So rather than ship, to we've got quite a lot of interest in Australia and New Zealand. Um, and that is, that is a cost of about 50k to ship a boat uh, to Australia or New Zealand, whereas it's less than half that. Um, to have it delivered by a crew, and uh, you very kindly said, uh, "Well, if you're uh, if you're going if you're looking to for protection or security uh, in the dangerous area, uh, your company can provide it, and uh, at a cost of two two and a half grand, something like that. I think you know, I'm not going to hold you to that, of course. Um, th that's a relatively small sum for that." amount of peace of mind and i think that's really valuable and uh, i would suggest if anybody has got the time constraints that they really really need to get their boats to the mid uh, from the asian uh, so the southeast asia uh, or conversely wants to come down from the mid you know i would certainly strongly recommend for the case for the sake of a couple of grand uh, they get in touch with uh, with you and your company and uh, and look to work out how that can work yeah, it's a very well it's a very well worked up operation. I mean, it's going on all the day, day day in, day out, twenty four seven. Um, there is um, there there's a vessel based armory in the Southern Red Sea where we keep our where we keep our weapons and our people. Um, there's another one out in the Indian Ocean, and there's another one up at Bujara. So you've got a choice of um, you've got a choice of routes. And if you wanted to have protection that goes goes right the way through the Indian Ocean to the Malacca Straits, there's an armory over in in uh, Malaysia as well at Port Klang. Mm. So the there's, there's quite a number of different options. If you're going south, then um, then uh, the the weapons and the team can be dropped off in the Cormorus or in the Seychelles, or even go as far as South Africa. You know, all these um, these uh, things are possible. Obviously, the longer the trip, the the, the more it will cost. Um, the the Nepalese guards um, have got a really good reputation. Um, we take them from uh, both UK and Indian um, ex-army, so they've, they've, they've got good training, good military training behind them. Um, they've been specifically trained for operating in a vessel as well, so they've got their STCWs and other qualifications. Mm. Um, and we've got clients, you know, um, top-level top, top shipping clients who love the Gurkhas. They think they, they provide a really good guarding service, and that's, that's an all-Gurkha team. 
Um, back in the day when it all started, everybody wanted the UK. It was tremendously expensive. Um, and uh, people were prepared to bear that cost because they felt the risks were very high. As the whole um, business has become more, uh, more commoditized and, um, uh, and the risks have been quantified, um, people, the commercial world doesn't want to spend quite so much money. So uh, different nationalities became involved, whereas Eastern Europeans, Indians, Filipinos, Nepalese, Sri Lankans, they're all there. Mm. And they call, all come at different uh, different price points because, you know, they, they come from different... Well, who, who doesn't love a Gurkha? I mean, I think uh, they've certainly got a special place in uh, many uh, British citizens' hearts and, uh, and, and, and have got a reputation that, uh, that they really do know what they're doing, eh? Um, yes, we're very strict about making sure that our Gurkhas have very good English standards. You know, English is the lingua franca uh, at sea, and there there are other companies out there that are not as strict about it, or about the training standards that the um, the teams come on board with. Um, so, I would I would recommend that um, I'm not saying that you you specifically have to go to Mars. There are other good companies out there, but I would look very carefully at um, at the company you use and make sure they have they do have proper ISO standards. There's an ISO twenty eight thousand seven. ISO 28000 standard, which um, security companies should be working to. Um, being on the UK register obviously helps as well because you've got um, the backing of the Department of International Trade behind behind us. Um, our weapons are legal. You know, the, the whole thing is properly is properly sewn up in a legal uh, fashion, and it's a, and we're a properly run business. So, and there are others out there like that. So, we're, you know, we're not unique in that respect. But there are others that are, um, if you like, what we call the Costa Coffee Shop um, outfit, who are running the whole thing off the back of a bag packet and a mobile phone. So just do do your due do your due diligence on the. Yeah, yeah. considering the costs that you know we've discussed, they're not prohibitive, and I think the last thing anybody wants to do is get involved with uh, a less than professional, less mm. than very professional. Um, security team. I think that's, that's. I would argue the same, wouldn't I? But there are the yeah. people, whatever price we offer you, there'll be someone out there who'll be prepared to offer. Yeah, of course. That's I can guarantee you that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, we we offer you know a a very high, a, a, not not gold plated, but it's a, a very good standard because we're dealing with weapons. Oh, and we're dealing with people's lives, and we take that yeah. very seriously. Jerry, one thing I during the uh, Rachel uh, and uh, Paul Chandler hostage snatch story, which I was then on Yachting Monthly covering, there was a rumour um, about Russian companies taking people on shoot-to-kill holidays uh, out of Samara. Did you ever come across that? I'm sure it was just no. a rumour. but No, you, I didn't. You didn't um, that. I did see I did. I remember there was a spoof uh, video on YouTube around that time. Oh, right. <laughs> You could go. You could you could go on a sort of a a, a shoot to kill cruise right. as American one, okay. um, and go and bag yourself with pirates. But no, I've never seen anything for real like that. Okay, yeah, it's that kind of it's, it's that kind of yeah, it's right. a kind of Borat type okay. thing. Really, Borat, yeah. that's the word yeah. I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. well, that's good to know. It was just a rumor. <laughs> False news again. <laughs> well, I hope so.
Well, Jerry, that was fantastic. Thank you very much indeed for joining the Ocean Sailor podcast. Uh, and I hope we'll talk to you again. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, thanks very much, Jerry. And um, look forward to talking to you again. Uh, at yeah, some pleasure. Point. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Bye for now. Thanks, Jerry. Cheers, Cheers Jerry. Thanks. All the best. Well, I must say that was really fascinating. What an eye opener. There's so much more to this than meets the eye, isn't there, Dick? And, uh, you know, Jerry really um, gave us the lowdown on so many aspects of this um, that, you know, I must say it was uh, very refreshing to hear. No, no, no question of that. And I have to say, I feel a bit safer having heard what he's got to say to think that there are some professional eyes out there perhaps looking after us. Yeah, I mean, it, it was extremely interesting because. As you will you might remember, Dick, I was telling people that in previous podcasts that whilst they might want to carry guns on board, it's not quite as simple as all that, getting them in and out of each country that you're going to visit. No. But of course, they've got a solution, which is this, and I must say, I thought that was incredible, a floating armory yeah. um, where they can pick up their arms uh, once they've, you know, on the way up, and they can drop off their arms once they're on the way back. And, and of course, the security officers can leave at that point as, as well. So there's no necessity to be clearing in and clearing out and getting off crew lists. And go. I, yeah, I must say uh, that uh, the logistics of how this works is, of course, the thing that Jerry is an expert in. Indeed. And, and, and that, that I thought, I hope a lot of people take interest in, in, in that. And, and it gives everybody a much better understanding. It certainly does. I mean, the, the floating armory, of course, being in international waters, I suppose in a way it's a little bit like going airside, is it, at an airport, you think? You've gone through passport control and you're on a kind of no-man's land so they can drop these weapons off or pick them up or pick security guys up on and off without having to um, involve the, uh, you know, the infrastructure customs immigration of a, of a particular state. Yeah, well, my my experience of, of that situation is twofold. One, if you go into somewhere like, well, God forbid you tried, into Australia carrying arms, um, you're going to have the world of officialdom come down on your head as a certainty. But other countries treat it as a means by which they can extract quite heavy sums of uh, of money from you for the pleasure of returning and keeping your weapons. Um, and, and, of course, they've avoided all of that yes. and legitimately avoided it because they, the vessel stays in international waters. Yes. No. So, it's, yeah, it's intriguing. Um, it, and, and, of course, it, it has been, and I think this is a, a point that I wasn't aware of so, quite so much, it has been a major success. And uh, the, the piracy issue is, to a very large extent, I think, controlled now in that whole Somalia, um, North uh, Indian Ocean uh, area. It's, it's brilliant. Yeah, and it's also fascinating to, to understand that the Gurkhas are available uh, through MAST uh, to become part of your crew. I think I'd feel very safe with the Gurkha as part of my crew. Yeah, I mean, they've got a fearsome reputation as being extremely tenacious fighters, and, uh, and, and I'm sure from a security point of view. I don't, have you ever met a Gurkha, Dick? I have, yes, several. Yeah, yeah. and I, I found them tremendously courteous and uh, uh, people, and, and very and very humble too. Yes, I mean, they are. You could get you it know, so wrong, couldn't you? you? Yeah, and 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 yet at the same time, obviously, there's absolutely no nonsense. No, uh, accepted. You know, so 
of course, the other thing that Jerry has mentioned uh, in that is the conduct uh, after capture uh, that one needs to adopt, and I think that's valuable. You know, to be to not catch their eye and, and smile. I mean, it's difficult circumstances yes. to try and do that in. Well, absolutely right. That uh, good guidance. It might sound perhaps a bit obvious, but on the other hand, it's good to hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Uh, and of course, <laughs> pity the poor pirate that uh, takes Rene Temerson aboard. I think the pirate himself would find himself walking the plank and not the other way around, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> they'll have definitely got more than they bargained for. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, mm. yeah. I don't know how how easily Rene would follow Jerry's advice. Oh, I can't tell you. I've <laughs> never heard. I've never met anybody that could shut him up. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd rather look Blackbeard in the eye than Rene. Yeah, I'll tell you what is incredible, um, and I think a, a very big feather in, in our caps, if I can blow our own trumpet a little bit, but Rene, as a result of your first article, Dick, uh, Con uh, Convoy of Fear, and the podcast, has now been approached uh, with a book offer about oh, that right? his whole story, eh? That's a bit uh, special. That is good it? news. Oh, well, good luck to him. So, yeah, yeah. people are listening. Well, I think that's... I think that's about it for today. It's been intriguing. Uh, I d no doubt, Dick, you've got some quippy anecdote to sign us off with. As you know, Dick, I'll try my best. And uh, as I say, the pieces of eight on Treasure Island, in fact, turned out to be the Bitcoin of wishful thinking. So it's goodbye from me. <laughs> oh, my God, and it's just goodbye from me. Thank you for listening to the Ocean Sailor podcast. If you have any feedback or questions, please get in touch with us by email at hello at oceansailormagazine.com or through any of our social channels. The Ocean Sailor podcast is sponsored by Kraken Yachts. The latest Kraken 50 is about to launch and you can follow the progress of the build through Ocean Sailor Magazine and on the Kraken Yachts YouTube channel. You can find more information at krakenyachts.com.